Well, we've had a beautiful Lord's Day, and uh, some of our people are still enjoying that elsewhere. Good to see you here tonight, and uh, hopefully and prayerfully, we will all be benefited as a result of our study tonight. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. The book of Titus is a rather small three-chapter book written by Paul to one of his preacher boys, uh, 63 to 67 A.D. Titus is on the Isle of Crete, and Crete is populated by a group of people who have a very bad reputation. In fact, to Cretanize came to mean to be a liar or to lie, just like to Corinthianize meant to be a fornicator. In fact, if you would look at Titus 1, verses 12 and 13, uh, this is what you would find. One of Crete's own prophets has said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Wow. And yet, it's interesting, if you back up to Titus 1 and verse 5, one of the reasons that Paul had left Titus there on the Isle of, of, uh, of Crete was to set in order the things that are wanting in the church. So the church existed even in that very evil society. One of the commentators captioned Titus chapters 2 and 3 as how to have a healthy church. I read every translation I can get my hands on, and I just, uh, I just read, just browse, read to see what I can find. And I, for many years, have read the Bible through in different translations and the such. Uh, even sometimes those that are, are not uh, popular But one day, I was reading from the NIV, and I was reading and came across Titus 2, verses 9 and 10. And immediately, as soon as I saw one word in this text, in the NIV as it translates it, I said, I have got to develop a sermon on that. I'd like to read Titus 2, verses 9 and 10. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not talk back to them, and not steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. And that's the word, attractive. The word attractive is defined, My, uh, it has various definitions. It's defined as charming, good, pleasant, enticing. I would add my definition, a quality that causes the observer to be pulled toward. Now, The King James will use the word adorn, 
and the NIV will, or the NASV will also. The phrase is in neuter gender, though, however, and so it can refer to all people. And literally, it's the, the image of taking precious jewels and arranging them in such a way as to make them beautiful. And so I like that idea. And now then we put all of that together and we began to recognize that the challenge here is to ask ourselves the question, do I possess the qualities and the characteristics that will cause people to be attracted, to be pulled to Christianity or Jesus Christ? Now, that is a major question. And that's what we're going to be studying tonight. My major, t- uh, uh, my lesson has only two major points. Number one is it's going to be uh, others are watching you. They're observing your actions. And then number two, we'll be looking at the text itself. We'll just look at Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 9 through 10, as almost like a, an expository uh, sermon. And so I think you will, you will get some good out of that. Charles Hodge one time said that the hardest translation or transplants is from the church building to the job. In other words, to be consistent, to be always the kind of person we are on Monday through Saturday that we are on Sunday. Now, that's a challenge. I understand. However, that's what we need to do to make Christianity attractive we need, we need to be consistently godly. We need to be what God wants us to be. Sarah Watson one time spoke about her, uh, it was a cousin-in-law, if indeed there be such as that. And uh, she talked about the fact that uh, her ancestors had to leave England because of stealing sheep. And they went to Holland and they had to leave Holland for practicing their religion, and they came to America so that they could steal sheep and practice their religion simultaneously. Well, that's not exactly what we have in mind. I agree with the writer that says, unless the church offers a different caliber of life from that available elsewhere, there is no adequate reason for the church to exist. One time there was a man that said, He was traveling outside of Nashville, and he saw an old bus. He said it was about as broken down as Oliver uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes' one-horse sleigh, and uh, said, but the sign still read, please step in. And he said, I said to myself, no, thank you. And I'm thinking, aren't there, are there people, our neighbors, people that we work with, people that we influence, who, if they are told that we are members of the Lord's body, and they're given a pitch to come and uh, at least check us out, I'm wondering how many would say, uh, no thank you, because of what they have seen in our lives. Well, I don't want the sermon tonight to be negative. In fact, it's going to be rather positive. I'd like for us to go now to Psalm 96. And verse 9, the Living Bible translates that, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holy lives. I want that to sink in. 
as we are living holy lives, we are in essence worshiping God. One time there was a little girl. She was old enough. I don't know how little she was. She was old enough to pay attention to the preacher. And as they were going home, she said to her mother, I'm a little confused about what the preacher said today. And her mother was very interested. Well, what did the preacher say that confused you? She said, well, didn't he say that God is bigger than us? Yes. And didn't he say that uh, God lives inside us? Yes. Well, if God is bigger than us and he lives inside of us, don't you think he would show through? That little girl was thinking, wasn't she? I think that that's what we need to understand. The good, it's good to be a Christian and show it. It's good to be a Christian and know it. But I believe to know it in your head, you need to stow it in your heart and then show it in your life. So, let's know the Word of God. Yes. Stow the Word of God. Meditate on it, but then translate it to lives. Live so that when people look at us, they can say basically, I see Jesus in Scripture But when I look at you, I see him on earth. I believe that we need to live in such a way that people, when they think of a godly example, they will automatically uh, think of us. Now, that will make Christianity attractive. And I suggest to you that we must not forget people are watching. And I'm telling you, they... They start very young. Little children even are watching, even older people. And they see attitudes, they see actions, and so don't forget that. Now, that brings me now to that second major point, And we're going to go now to Titus chapter 2 itself. And we're going to look at what, just basically what it has to say. I'd like to start with verse, uh, verse 2, as he says... And he starts talking to older men. I'm in Titus 2 and verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate. Now, the word temperate means, it in fact is used in a secondary sense of sober-minded, prudent, thoughtful. And then he goes on and says, worthy of self-respect, self-control, Sound in faith. Men, are you listening to me? This means one who acts in a way that is proper of those who profess Christianity. Sometimes when we get older, we get a little more sloppy. And that's not what we need to be doing. We need to be, he says, in, he says that we need to be Enduring, he talks about endurance. That means to patiently continue during trials and difficulties. Uh, He means that we need to be genuine no matter what happens to our lives. And sometimes 
we get broadsided. We lose loved ones. We lose our mates, as, uh, as has happened in this congregation just recently. Uh, things come that challenge our faith. And yet we need to be, as older men, in the sunset of life, we ought to exhibit Christian virtues to an advanced degree. That's what I'm challenging us to do tonight. Nothing. Nothing is more attractive than the finished product. Amen? And that's what we're talking about. But now then we're going to go on. He will go from talking to older men to talking to the older ladies. Likewise, I'm in verse 3. Teach older women to be reverent in the way they live. Teach older women. Both the King James and the New American Standard Version use the word behavior, to be reverent in their behavior. That means their demeanor. Uh, it refers to disposition of mind. Those uh, whose character is sacred, her walk before the Lord is obvious to anyone who watches. And then he goes on and he says, not be slanderers. The word slander is the Greek word that's also translated devil. And so one who picks up the gossip and all of those things is literally demonic. And that's what he says. And then he says, not addicted to wine. The word addicted is from the Greek word doulos, which is translated slave. She's not a slave to any of the things that would, would tend to try to control her. And then what? I'm still in verse 3. No, verse 4. Then they can urge or train the younger women. Only after they are examples, they will not take up slander. They will not engage in things that, that tend to hurt their influence and uh, uh, those things. Nothing is quite as beautiful and attractive as a godly woman. I will take an amen there. Such attracts anyone, men and women, who have spiritual values because they are beautiful. But then he addresses the younger women. And so he says, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, love should be the greatest priority in a home. Love. That was spoken in a time of arranged marriages. And so the kind of love that we're talking about is not a matter of, of romantic involvement as much as it is outright, downright commitment. That they are going to treat the other person in a loving Way Before Christianity came, we know that women were, were spoken of and thought of as property. But when Christianity came, that elevated the woman to a partnership. Well, apparently, these women on the Isle of Crete, that had gone a little bit overboard. They were taking advantage of their newfound freedom, and they were putting themselves above their husbands. That's at least uh, implied here. And so this is a call 
for selfish, genuine love or unselfish, genuine love that sacrifices itself for husband and children. Now, in verse 5, he will go on. He says to, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home. Oh, my. The King James will use the word chaste. That means faithfulness to the marriage vows conjoined with modesty of action and purity of thought. When he says busy at home, literally domesticated. And uh, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 14, I think, adds a parallel here. It does not suggest that home is a prison where uh, she must be kept. But the NIV helps a little bit here. It says, I counsel younger widows to marry, have children, manage their homes, and give the enemy no opportunity for slander. The King James says younger women are to bear children, guide the home. The old 1901 American Standard Version says, rule the household. And the New American Standard says, Keep house, just basically. But the reason is stated here, so that no one will malign or blaspheme or slander the word of God. If women failed in the home, then the pagan society would sneer at the word of God. Even today, when marriages fail... I believe that there are pagans who will also hold that against the church. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2, confirms the influence of women, a godly woman. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of the wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. So I'm suggesting women have a powerful influence in the church and in the world. And when our women are setting the right kind of examples and they are living correctly, uh, we've, got, we've gone a long ways on correcting a lot of the ills that are in the world. Now, with that said... Let's now go from the younger women to the younger men. And I want you to note especially the last part of verse 8 as he will again reiterate the purpose for all of this. But let's just read it, beginning with verse 6. Similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of of speech without being condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Did you get that? You live in such a way so that they have nothing bad to say about us. Now, with that said, we're now ready to come to the text that I read a few moments ago. And this will be the last section or subsection. And let's start now. With verse 9, teach slaves. Now, let me say this. We do not have or practice slavery here in America, 
And so we could parallel that with employees. And so Paul, there will be three different things that he will say here relative to the way employees should act. And all of this is tied together with making Christianity attractive. You may not like this, but it's there. First of all, he talks about disobedience. And he says here, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. So you are to not be disobedient. You are to be subject. That's the first thing. Then he says, To try to please them, not talking back to them. Talking back. Wow. Some employees know more about the job that they're doing than the employer does. Seriously, because they've been doing it. They have the experience. And yet they should not try to, uh, to argue a case. Uh, they shouldn't gripe about their employer to someone else. And I may be stepping on some toes here, but I'm telling you people, that is poor testimony. And that will hurt the church. And then he goes from there, and he says, and not to steal from them. Whoa, stealing? It's so easy to be dishonest. You can either uh, steal tools or the such or whatever you do. There are just more than one way uh, to, uh, to do that. So it's easy to, uh, to misappropriate funds. What he's basically saying is, just determine you're going to be squeaky clean. He says, so, so that they can be fully trusted, fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. The King James says, so that they would adorn the doctrine of God, the in. The New English Bible says, add luster to. It comes from the English word cosmetics, and that means to beautify. And now you begin to get the picture. That's the kind of life that the Lord wants all of us, young or old, in every relationship. That's the kind of life the Lord wants us to live. And that means that we determine that we're not going to succumb to the to the temptations to just uh, be like the rest of the world. We're going to be squeaky clean in every way. Our attitude, our, our desire is to make Christianity attractive. And I urge all of us to live in such a way that whether they are colleagues that we work with every day or the neighbors that we live beside of or anyone else, There may be other relationships that we will always live in such a way that people will go, there is a real Christian. And if everyone in the church would take to heart the idea of making Christianity attractive, I believe the church can grow. I really do. At least that cultivates the the ground so that then the seed of the gospel can be planted. And people will allow themselves to be taught the gospel because they will see that it is genuine. If it, if it gets us where we live, they will see that it's genuine. Now, Titus chapter 2, 
Uh, what I've done tonight is I've challenged us with an idea, making Christianity attractive, and I have just, and it's nothing uh, dynamic, I've just taken Titus chapter 2 and tried to, to expound on that to show you what God's Word says it takes to make Christianity attractive. Now, it could be that there's one or more here tonight who has a need. Maybe there is someone that you need to forgive who has not made Christianity so attractive. And you need to determine, I'm going to be a good example no matter uh, what other people do. Or it could be that you decided, I want to be just a New Testament Christian. And you can do that tonight before you even leave the building. You can obey the gospel and leave here a cleansed sinner. As I tell people sometimes... There's only two kinds of adult responsible people. There are those who need, sinners who need the Savior and know it. And there are sinners who need the Savior and don't know it. There's two kinds of adult responsible people. Those who are saved sinners and lost sinners. We all of us need the Lord. But you may have a need specifically. And if there's any way that we can help you tonight, we would encourage you to come while together we stand and sing.